0: So we're going to continue going through John's Gospel, and we are excited. I'm excited about today because this is one of those scriptures that, as I prepared for today, it it just has sort of really gripped me that I believe that there's a word here for all of us. I know I say that most weeks, but I really do believe today. The the title, Are You Lonely and Thirsty for More? Uh, It was a title that came out of what I prepared today, obviously. But that sense of knowing that every human being in this planet has a loneliness without God. It was at Pascal that said that that within every human being there was a vacuum that only God could fill. And so there is a loneliness and people at times feel lonely. And God wants to fill that part of us, any void that's there, he wants to fill us with his presence. And he he wants you to know he's a God who can fill you and make you uh, whole and make you complete in his presence. And we're going to see today, as we look at these verses, that Jesus has always wanted for us to dwell in his presence. He has always wanted for us to be close to him. He has always wanted to be near us. And the Bible says, Psalm 16 says, that he will show us the path of life. And in his presence is fullness of joy. And so I believe that's a key word as we go through this morning, that God wants to remind you of that, of the promise of joyfulness in this walk with the Saviour. So the the (laughs) heading is, are you lonely? And so I believe God wants to reach into that part of you that maybe is just feeling a need for more of God today. Let's believe that God's going to touch you and do something supernatural in you. So are you lonely and are you thirsty for more? Do you know that God's the one who can quench that deepest part of you that is thirsty for more of him? That part of you that that is not satisfied unless you have an encounter with the living God. And without Christ we are not satisfied. There is a spiritual thirst for every human being who is not coming to drink from the living fountain that Jesus came to give us. The Holy Spirit. So we're going to continue. Uh, last week we had been looking at how Jesus had fed the 5,000. Do you remember we looked at that? How he had fed them uh, food, uh, out of, multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And now we're going to continue and we're going to look at John chapter 7. And I wanted just to read the first um, few verses from John chapter 7. It says, After this, that's the feeding of the 5,000, etc., Jesus travelled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. As some of your your Bibles will translate that. Tabernacles. Uh, tabernacle is to dwell. It's a place of shelter. Uh, it was called the the, the the feast of shelters or sometimes the the feast or the festival of tabernacles. And Jesus' brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. Now, in another translation, it says his brothers did not believe in him. Maybe you've noticed that in your Bible. His brothers did not believe in him. And they said, why don't you go up, if You can do all these great things. Why don't you go up and show yourself? So they were kind of taunting him. Um, you can become famous you can't become famous, his brother said, if you hide like this. Do you see the touch of, of irony, the touch of uh, taunting? He says, uh, If you can't become famous if you hide like this, his brother said, If you can if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go. Some of your translations, some of your Bibles will say is my hour is not yet come. He says, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go any time. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to the festival because my time has not yet come. After say, saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. And then just the next verse says, but after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went Though secretly staying out of public view, so we get that. Just want to stop there and just want to start today by saying, just painting this picture of Jesus. He knows that the Jews up around the Jerusalem area up in Judea, he knows the Jews are plotting to kill him, and he knows his hour has not come to go to the cross, but he does know that his hour has come to go up to this feast, and he knows he needs to go in secret because uh, he's, he knows that he's in, his life is in danger, and the enemy would try to push things and push uh, God's plans ahead of time. God, Who knows if God has a specific time for things to happen in our lives. Jesus was very aware of his father's timing. And if there's some stuff going on in your life, and you're wondering why it hasn't happened long before now, you need to be reminded that God has a time. And that because it hasn't happened in your time, doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. God has a time. And so uh, Jesus was going up to this Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I've given you a reference there, um, John 7, verses 11 to 36, and then the end of the chapter, verses 40 to 52. We haven't time to read that all. But when you get home, read that, and you will see that when Jesus went up to Jerusalem, he created tremendous controversy. And you'll read about how they were all gossiping, and speculating, and debating as to who he was. Was he, was he the Christ? Was he, was he a demon? That all kinds of theories, not only the people, but the leaders of the people, the religious leaders. And so we're just going to put that in there, that he's going up to the feast, but before he goes up, and after he, before he, 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 he does what he's going to do at the feast, and afterwards, there's a lot of speculation going around. Now, I want to talk to you about what the Feast of Tabernacles uh, really meant. And I'm so glad to have my friend Hilary here up from Bangor from many, many years ago. And Hilary's been out to the Feast of Tabernacles, and she would tell you it's a tremendous feast of joy. It's the last of seven festivals, if you like, that God had given his people, the Jewish people, that right from the first one was Passover and going right through, uh, from the Sabbath actually was the first one, and then the Passover, seven different times throughout the year. little cluster of feasts in the spring, and then a little cluster in the autumn. And this would have been the very last feast out of these seven. If you like a festival, a better word for us to understand. So in this time of the year, the end of every year, uh, around September, October time, according to the Jewish calendar, there still remains this feast they're still carrying out, This festival of tabernacles, or if you like, festival of um, shelters. And the word tabernacle simply means to dwell. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, it was basically a time when God would remind the Jews how, when they travelled out of Egypt, how he travelled with them. He dwelt with them. He tabernacled with them as they went through the, the, the desert for those 40 years, and as he provided for all their needs. And God's presence had gone with them throughout their wanderings. And we've already reminded ourselves that in God's presence there's fullness of joy. So this festival was to remember that God had gone with them. He had dwelt among them. And no wonder that this was the most joyful festival of all of the festivals. Because in his presence there's 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 fullness of joy. And so this is still celebrated every year now uh, god had given instructions about keeping this feast and i wanted to read some of those very quickly we need to just do this very quickly to understand what happens and still happens every autumn in jerusalem so let's just and, and across the world so let's just read leviticus 23 i'm reading it here um, I'm reading it here in the um, New Living Translation because it just makes it a whole lot more simple. It says these verses before these verses are all about the other festivals, but it starts off in verse 37. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. Celebrate them each, each year as official days for holy assembly by presenting special gifts to the Lord, burnt offerings. So there was lots of burnt offerings going on, not nowadays, but back then in biblical times. These festivals must be observed in addition to the Lord's regular Sabbath days. And the offerings are in addition to your personal gifts, etc. Then down to verse 39. Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of tabernacles, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month after you have harvested all the produce of the land. So it's 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 to remember and to celebrate harvest. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, boughs from leafy trees and willows that grow by the streams. Then celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. You must observe this festival to the Lord for seven days every year. This is a permanent law for you and it must be observed in the appointed month from generation to generation. For seven days you must live outside in little shelters. All native-born Israelites must live in shelters. This will remind each new generation of Israelites that I made their ancestors live in shelters when I rescued them from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses gave the Israelites these instructions regarding the annual festivals of the Lord. I love the idea of this festival because it's, it's getting the children of Israel to remember every year as adults and to teach their children, tell them the story of how God delivered them out of Egypt. And it's a joyful time as they remember that God actually dwelt with them as they travelled through the wilderness journeys. And so it's an amazing thing. And here's what I love. I love the fact that God has created us in his image and that God knows exactly how you and I tick. And he knows that inside every one of us there's an inner child. There's an inner child inside every one of us and you see the idea of building a wee hut? That was one of my favourite pastimes when I was a child. Anybody else love making huts? My brother and I were constantly making huts. Huts up trees, huts in in wee secret places and wee buildings where nobody knew there was a wee hole where you could cover it in. We were always making huts and that's what these booths or shelters were. They were actually just like a hut. And, they, they, and today they still make these, and the idea was that for seven days they would have their meals in these and sometimes even sleep in these, and it would remind them of what it was like to go through the wilderness in a, in a temporary dwelling, in, in, in all kinds of, of makeshift tents or whatever, that God himself dwelt, dwelt, God himself dwelt in a tent I get the word right. And it was like stirring up that inner child to remember. And you can imagine even today that the children go mad at this festival because they love love building this hut and they love decorating it. And it has to be made in a certain way. And I wrote down some of the stuff that happens nowadays and and what it means to modern Jews. So listen to me while I tell you this. Nowadays, the essential thing about a hut or booth is that it's made of three sides. The instructions are here in the Bible. So they're still going by the instructions. Had to be three sides uh, of, of, uh, and a roof of branches. So they, they had to pick these kind of branches from the trees. Here was a four type of plant material that they had to pick. Uh, citron fruit, which was known in Israel as a net rod, A sit- piece of citron fruit. Uh, a branch of citron fruit. A palm branch. A myrtle branch. And a willow branch and they had to weave these all together and the idea was it would shake these round as they were dancing because this was a joyful ceremony there was going to be a bit of dancing we like the dancing Roberta so a bit of dancing and they would weave these branches all woven together just to express the joyfulness of the presence of God and so this still happens they still pick these particular uh, plant plant material of these trees and they have to make sure that the roof of this hut is covered with these branches and uh, these uh, leafy leafy stuff. Now here's the thing, don't you just love this, don't children just get this? The idea is that spending time in this fragile hut in the garden or under uh, under the roof of leaves rigged up in a balcony, it gives the experience of living exposed to the world without a nice comfy shell around them. So it's a bit like takes them out of their comfort zone, out of a nice big house, maybe an apartment in New York. Apartments are full of this. Jews in New York, they haven't got a big house in me, but they've got an apartment. Out in the balcony, they build this, this leafy hut, and the top of it's full of these trees. And, and it's like they're coming out of the comfort of their own safety, and they're coming out to expose themselves to the elements and to remember what it's like not to live in a house and not to have all the comforts of home. And here's what it says here. It reminds them that there is only one real source of security and protection, and that's God. Similarly, the holes in the roof, that revealed the sky. And actually, uh, that was part of what they had to do. They had to make sure that that some of the stars could still be seen through the roof because that would remind them of heaven and remind them of the reality of heaven and that there's no, nothing safe and nothing secure without God and God in his heaven. And so eh, this was our great reminder these seven days and even today this reminds them that there's nothing secure in this world, only God. And to the Jewish person, person and to all of us it also says, will you hear this one? It also says that we can enjoy God's presence anywhere. We can make a hut anywhere. And God will be there with us. Isn't that amazing? And so I just think God God knows how to stir us up. He knows how to get to that inner child in you. How to get you to actually waking up and realise that actually God is real. And he wants to be present in your life. And he wants you to worship him. And he wants you to look up at the sky. Remember he, he he took Abraham out from his tent. And he told him to come outside the tent and to look up and to look at the stars. And he says that's the way I'm going to bless you. And there's something about remembering as we look at the stars that God's blessings are as many as the stars in our lives. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of generous God that we have who is full of his promise and full of his goodness. So that was what it was like. That was what happened. And that's that's what happens nowadays. People are living in these these, uh, little huts. Now, the thing is, if the hut was to remind them of God's presence with them as they travelled through the wilderness. But building the huts or building these booths as they call them was also a prophetic thing. It It was actually pointing to how one day the Jewish Messiah would come and he would come down from heaven and he would actually tabernacle, is the word that's used in John, among them. That, and actually they were, for, for right through the Old Testament, every year they were remembering this, 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 this festival, but actually it was pointing towards Messiah, who was not just going to live in a tent in the wilderness, but was going to come in flesh in a human body and tabernacle or dwell with his own people on earth. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus had done. I want to read this a bit out my notes to you because I felt God helped me to say it just the way it is. Uh, however, the Feast of Tabernacles was not only to remember history, the going through the wilderness, but it was to point to the future. The pilgrims who would come up to Jerusalem to keep the feast had no idea that the God of the Old Testament had already come to dwell in their neighbourhood in the flesh of a real man. And that's exactly what it tells us in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. The word, that's Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt is and tabernacled among us. So this feast that they kept in the Old Testament was pointing to Messiah. But not only that, it pointed beyond Messiah and it points to the time where a yet future fulfillment, when Jesus will return to this earth. And will set up his kingdom on this earth. And he will dwell where it is tabernacled with men and women on the earth. In fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah 14. The first one verse one to verse 21. I want to just read a couple of things from those verses. It says this this is a chapter where Jesus comes back and stands on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives will split. and and Jesus will come down into Jerusalem and set up his kingdom. Here's what it says in, in Zechariah 14. Then the Lord, my God, will come and all the saints with you. Do you hear that? You're coming with him. In that day, living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. I want you to remember that as we go on with this teaching. Living waters will flow from Jerusalem and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name is one. So we have a day coming when he is going to come and set up his kingdom and tabernacle amongst his people, and he's going to to rule on this earth. Now, uh, we've got a kind of a background of of what, uh, what tabernacles, what it was like. But I also want to remind you that Tabernacles was also a reminder, not just of his presence through the wilderness, but of his provision in the wilderness and right through uh, the Jewish history. The children of Israel, as they went through the wilderness, do you remember they needed physical food? They couldn't survive unless they got food. And remember how we talked last time about how when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, it reminded us of how God had brought the manna down from heaven during the time that Israel was travelling through uh, the, the, um, the, the desert. And so uh, God had provided manna from heaven and He had uh, and, and if you think about it, um, He He provided He provided water as well from the rock when they went through the wilderness Uh, remember uh, that they needed the physical water in order to survive and I'm just reading here from the notes God had told Moses to strike the rock remember how they needed water in the desert and God told Moses go and take your rod and strike the rock and the water came out of the rock now that actually was a picture or a symbol if you like of how Jesus would come and he being the rock Christ Jesus that's spoken about in the Old Testament how God would it says he struck he he, he smote the shepherd remember that verse in the the Gospels God actually uh, God actually dealt with our sin and placed our sin upon Christ and just as Moses struck the rock to bring out water of life, God the Father put all the judgment and smote his own son for love for you and me. That he took all the punishment for sin of the world, past, present and future. And so that the fresh living waters of salvation could flow out from Jesus. That is an amazing picture. And we're going to we're going to build on that picture as we go through this. So you've got to, you've got to just please focus in. Get your thinking caps on. This don't miss this because there's some beautiful pictures here for you to grab onto. They needed the physical bread to live. He brought them down, manna. They needed water to survive. He struck the rock, and the water came out of the rock, and they all were their thirst was quenched, and life saving water had poured forth. But then there was a later time in the journey through the wilderness where again they were dying of thirst. And if you remember, this time, God told Moses, don't smite the rock, but speak to the rock. And do you remember the children of Israel had been really messing about? They were just messing about. And Moses was fed up with them. Do you ever get fed up with anybody? (laughs) Moses was fed up and in total exasperation. Instead of doing what God told him to do and speaking to the rock, he was that exasperated, he just took the, the rod and he just hit it. Another smite. And you know, God was faithful in that God provided the need and gave them the water. But Moses' disobedience actually cost him the privilege of actually going in to the land. He didn't get in. Why was God so severe in that? Sometimes you think, oh, poor we Moses. Why did God take that act so seriously? Do you know why? Because the picture of Moses smiting the rock was a picture of the cross of Christ, where Jesus was took all your sin and was all the burden and was actually smitten. He, Isaiah 53 says he was smitten of God and afflicted. And he took it all. But you know what? God would only let his son be smoked one time. He would only allow Jesus to go to the cross one time for the final sacrifice for sin. And I love this because um, Hebrews 10 says for this uh for this man, Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of the Father, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being constantly sanctified. What happens when we get saved? We, we go to the cross and we receive Jesus as our saviour. What happens then whenever, whenever we sin again? What happens whenever we let God down? What happens whenever we, we fail and we mess up? Well, we don't go and Jesus doesn't have to be crucified all over again. No. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 that if we confess with our mouth, what does that mean? It means speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, Christ Jesus. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It was so important to God that we, his people, got this picture right. His son would only be smote once for all. Finished. But after that we can come and talk to him and we can be constantly cleansed and forgiven. So poor old Moses, he did the wrong thing. And so uh, he, he did not get in. Although, you know the amazing thing, that I, I'm just throwing this in here, I just love this about God. Who did Jesus meet up the mountain whenever he came to this world? Moses and Elijah, so he brought him in he, brought, he met him up the mountain and talked to him face to face, isn't God amazing I tell you, even the things that he has to correct us with, correct us in he turns them around for good that's the kind of God, don't despise his chastening, don't despise, when God disciplines you, say thank you God because discipline is a sign of love and God loves us enough to discipline us so he can give us more and better than what we would expect so uh. And so here's the thing, I want to read this a bit to you as well. As pilgrims from all over Israel and beyond have travelled to Jerusalem, I want, to get this, I want you to get this now. Jesus has gone, he has slipped away secretly. Can you just imagine him You know, putting maybe the, the head covering over his, over his head. His brothers have gone on ahead up to Jerusalem and he's covered himself perhaps because it does say he goes in secret and he slips away up there the long journey up to Jerusalem and he slips up on his own and he says that he was keeping himself fairly well hidden in Jerusalem, whilst all the place would would have been buzzing with pilgrims. They didn't only come from all over Jerusalem and all over the country, but they came even beyond. You remember at the time of Pentecost, you remember all the different languages they spoke from different people who came from different countries? That's what it was like. The Jews traveled long distances to come to their festivals. And so the place would have been absolutely buzzing. And Jesus was like incognito, uh, not not really revealing himself during this. So they traveled to Jerusalem to worship and they traveled to worship the God of the Exodus. But here's the thing. They had no idea that the same God, the rock of their salvation, was soon going to be smitten for their sin. And unknown to them, He had already come down from heaven just like the manna and was sleeping in their city perhaps as a guest in someone else's booth. Mm -hmm. Isn't that just the most incredible thought? That as they were remembering all these great things in the Old Testament and singing and dancing how somewhere the Son of Man Jesus Christ the Son of God God in flesh was sleeping in some corner. Maybe, I don't believe he would have had a booth of his own because he didn't have anything of his own, really. Someone perhaps invited him in and he was maybe sleeping in some corner, the Son of God, knowing that the time was coming when he would be, like that rock, would be smitten on the cross for the sins of the world. But here's the thing, there wasn't only this booth thing. Back in Bible times, nowadays it's just the booth and just the hospital and that's wonderful, and celebration time, and it's wonderful, but back in Bible times there was more to it, there was more than the building of huts. there was a water drawing ceremony, and that's what I want to speak on for the rest of the time that we have today. There was actually another ceremony which we'll look at next week, it was about light, but we're not going to look at it this week, it's for next week, but we're going to look particularly at this ceremony that happened every year, uh, during the Bible times, and it was called a water drawing ritual. And here's what happened. At the end of the, at, at, sorry, at the beginning of every single day, remember this Feast of Tabernacles or, or Feast of, of Booze? It had seven, there were seven days where they uh, had these sacrifices. The, the eighth day they rested. But every beginning of every single day, a priest would come down from the temple. And he would come down to the pool of Siloam. And he, he was carrying a great big uh, golden pitcher. And he would have brought it down to the, to the pool of Siloam. Now, as he made that journey down, and the pool of Siloam is very close to, to the temple. And Jane has told me last night not to forget to say that next year, God willing, we're going back to Israel. And we'll be going to the pool of Siloam. Just a wee, just a wee plug in there, if so you me to see the thumbs up in the back so we're going back there you come out of Hezekiah's Tunnel which is the vehicle of carrying the water from the Gihan Spring and that, that brings you right through and it, it fed into the only source of water Gihan springs, the only source of water it fed into the pool of Siloam and this is a very key place and you can see it. actually they didn't even think it existed but uh, I'm try- I can't just exactly remember off the top of my head I'll have it for next week At what, whether it was earlier last century, I think it was, where they actually discovered through excavations that they could see the steps and see this pool of Siloam there, ready for all to see uh, the place where the high priest or the priest came down, and he, he put this picture with all the singing and dancing can you imagine like a musical festival all the singing and dancing and and all kinds of instruments and he came down with great celebration and everybody dancing and singing as he brought this big pitcher down and he plunged it into the pool of Siloam and he filled it up with water and as he filled it up he, he, he actually shouted out these words therefore with joy we will draw water from the wells of salvation Isaiah 12 Verse 3. And so this this place down in Silo- in, in, in the pool of Siloam, they, they, they filled this big jar with water. And remember that uh, this was the only pool, the only source of water that Jerusalem had. So water was very scarce. It's still scarce. The Israelis have been amazing in how they, they recycle their water, their, their incredible how they, how, they, how they have plenty of water and yet they don't have any water they recycle They're very ingenious people but back then it was water was scarce but the priest brought this big picture up and he went up into the temple with all the people I believe I read somewhere this week that he went up through the valley up through the people and went right up into the temple and when he got to the temple he went up to the altar and he poured out the water as a sacrifice over, over the altar and you know what I read this week as well. On the other side of the altar, another priest poured out another drink offering of wine, and so the water was poured out and the wine was poured out. And you know, I couldn't help but think—I didn't actually read this anywhere, so I'm not sure if it's read or not—but I couldn't help but think: was that a picture of Jesus and the blood and the water coming out of his side, out of his side? And as as the, the priest poured out this offering of water and this offering of wine. Here is what the priest shouted. Please Lord, please save us. Lord, please give us success. Psalm 118 verse 23. And at the same time this other priest would pour out this drink offering. What a picture. What a picture of salvation. Can you see all of this happening and it happens every morning. Of the seven days, every morning this is repeated. And the people come down and they cheer every morning. And, and all of Jerusalem is a wife with praise and thanksgiving as they remember what God has done for them. But here's the thing. When they poured out this water, according to uh, a quote a that I read from the International em- Embassy um, <coughs> of... Uh, what's, what does you call it? The Christian International Embassy of... Christian Um, Hilary you keep me right here I have it written down somewhere there's an organisation that. yes quote from the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem and according to them they say that when they poured out the water that there followed a great silence that descended on the sanctuary as the people reflected upon the Lord and his Holy Spirit the only true refreshment for their thirsty souls was the Holy Spirit. The water drawing ritual was repeated every day. Now, can you imagine this? Every day, after they pour out this water, there's a hush. A hush of And and this quote says that on the seventh day, this hush over the whole community, over the whole the whole uh, place. It took on an intensity, this is what the International Christian Embassy says, it took on an intensity with excitement and anticipation. And so the seventh day was known as the last great day of the feast. Now I want you to get this picture before we read the last couple of verses in this chapter. I really don't want you to miss this because I believe this is so powerful for us us to catch what Jesus was actually doing and what he wants to impart to us today. Because this ceremony that they were were keeping, this festival of joy, uh, remembering God's presence through the wilderness, remembering that he had given them food in the desert, that he had had poured out water for them to keep them alive from the rock in in the desert. He had been faithful to them. And as they celebrated this, this, this journey out of Egypt right into the promised land, and remembered God's goodness and God's greatness. They went through this every morning where the priest went down and lifted up the the big, big pitcher of water and cried out these words about the the salvation of the Lord as they cried it out, remembering what they said, therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Remember that the Old Testament was waiting for a Messiah to come who would bring them salvation and they saw salvation in the Old Testament was often described as water Isaiah 55 puts it this way if I can find where I have written it down Um, it's a beautiful it it talks about anyone who's thirsty come and drink Um, I don't know where I'll put it can anybody see where it is in your notes what page is it on the third page yes Um, There it is. Let me read it to you. Is anyone thirsty? This is the New Living Translation. This is from the Old Testament. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the first food. The 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 finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. This is from the Old Testament. the The Jews knew the Old Testament. They knew that God had said that He would give them water to drink, that He would satisfy their thirst, that He was that God had prophetically said. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And at this last day of the feast, on the seventh day, when the last, for the last time, the water had been carried up and had been poured out for the last time, when the, when the feast was over. That was the day, that was the moment that Jesus moved in to take his cue. That was his appointed moment to fulfill the Old Testament scripture. Because Jesus on the last day, the great day of the feast it says. Let me read it to you. He steps up and he cries out, come on to me. Let me read you the verses. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When Jesus said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet Entered into his glory, he had not yet gone to the cross. You know, I just I just get this. Do you get this? All these symbols are being played out. Old Testament, what God had told them to do. All a picture of what Jesus was going to do. And at that moment, at the end of the of the, of the, of the seventh day of the festival, upsets the steps Jesus right on cue. And he, he makes this amazing. He makes this amazing plea anyone who is thirsty come to me anyone who believes in me may come and drink he was declaring to the people that he was the old testament god who had provided water for them in the the wilderness and was able to quench their spiritual thirst as well as their physical thirst this is the god that we bring to you today this is the god that i believe wants to Give you a drink today that will satisfy your deepest need. How do we drink? We drink by coming in faith, believing on him. You know, we believe in order to get saved. But listen ladies, if we want to continue and enjoy God's presence, we need to have this ongoing relationship where we are not, have not only received forgiveness through the cross, but that we are having this conversation all the time where we are speaking to the rock Christ Jesus and where we are experiencing a complete freedom from sin we are constantly being washed clean. You know, the problem with us when we get a downer is because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We've stopped believing. We've turned another direction and we're, we're listening to the lies of the enemy again. And the Lord, I believe today, wants to give you a real deep thirst of his love and his truth, and he wants, if I could take your head, and put this big picture up, and put it, force it down you, if I could do that, to put it down, and into myself as well, to get this fresh blast of his love, and of his refreshment, and of his reviving, and he would revive you, and revive me, to know that he's the God who can give us all that we need, that he can satisfy the deepest, driest parts of our soul. And I tell you, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus was talking when he said, come to me, to, come anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. He was declaring himself as Jehovah, Yahweh from the Old Testament, in a flesh, God in flesh. And remember when he met that woman at the well, and I often think how he had spoken to her, a woman who was cast aside that no one would have had any time for because she was living She had had so many husbands and so many uh, relationships and was living with someone, wasn't even married. In a Jewish society, they they could easily have stoned her. A woman of ill repute. And I often think how Jesus sought her out to go and reveal himself to her. Remember, he looked her in the eye and, and she said, I know whenever Messiah comes, everything will be sorted out. And he looked at her and he spoke into her face and he said, I that speak unto you, I am. I am the I am right into her eyes, and I often think when she looked into the eyes of Jesus, she must have seen complete and perfect love coming out of the eyes of Yahweh, who was staring her in the face. He was hiding around, the going up to Jerusalem incognito, he was hiding at people, but he made it his business to go to a woman that nobody else had time for, because he wanted her to catch this That he was the God of the Old Testament who loved her. And remember he spoke about how he wanted to give her this water that she would never be thirsty again. Do you remember how he spoke to her about that? Because he wanted her to know that he could not only save her but refresh the deepest parts of her soul. And he could make life worth living. And he wanted this woman to catch it. And I wrote down just a verse, what he said to the woman. Here's what he said. The water that I shall give you will become in you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This is the same Yahweh. This is the same God who speaks to you today. I just want to read this to you again because it's just, I felt that God anointed the way I wrote it. For centuries, the Jews had been keeping this feast. But on this momentous occasion, God in flesh had come. To presence himself with his people. He had come to show them God's eternal plan of salvation. Only those who would believe and receive him by faith would get to truly drink the water of life from him. And experience the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. It's exactly the same today. Something to think and pray about as people throughout the world continue to debate about Jesus and pass judgment on him. His offer of salvation goes out to all who will come unto him and drink of the waters of life freely. This is God's provision for all of us and it is the only way of satisfying lonely and thirsty souls. I'll tell you, every one of us, there's there's an inner child here that needs to be constantly replenished from the, from the, the fountain of life. We need to have an ongoing childlike relationship with our God, where we depend on him for everything, where we realise he's not only a God who will, who will lead us and, 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 and provide for us, but he's a God of presence. He's a God who will be present with us. And he wants us to know what it is to experience that ongoing presence that gives joy and releases joy. Just one wee thing before I finish. There was a time in the Old Testament whenever they kind of fell out of the way of 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 keeping this feast. It happened somewhere around Joshua's time and for, for quite a while they they forgot, they didn't bother for whatever reason, they, they stopped observing this feast. And do you remember Nehemiah came? I'm kind of heavy into Nehemiah at the minute. Do you remember he came and he went back to to build the walls of Jerusalem and to do all of that well after they rebuilt the walls and the gates do you know what they did they they started to read the word and as they read the word and Ezra was there as well by the way Ezra was a teacher and Ezra got up and he read the book and they all began to weep and they realized they hadn't kept some of the law and they began to weep as, as they read the word and then they realized that they hadn't been keeping this piece of tabernacles And and so they decided, we have to do this. God says we have to do this. And they actually started up again to, brought this feast back in again. And Nehemiah's time, they started to have the Feast of Tabernacles every, every year. Now you can read about it, how they had all these different plants and they did everything according to the word. But here's the thing that I loved about it. Because they obeyed God's word and because they began to keep this feast again. you know what it says? It says that there was joy released to the people in Nehemiah's day. That's, that's That's where it's the verse that we read that we take for granted. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm telling you, when we begin, here's the thing. We can have a feast of tabernacle every day of the year. Not just in September, October. We can actually live the Feast of Tabernacles every day. Why do I say that? Because we're tabernacles. Christ is dwelling in you. You and I are living, walking, eating, drinking, sleeping, tabernacles of the Holy Spirit of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we can, we can have this feast. And this was the most joyful feast. And I'm telling you as you go out today... If you don't feel joy rising up in your heart, come up here and we'll pray for you because I believe God wants to release joy in this place. Because you know what? Do you know why we're not joyful? Because we're listening and believing the lies of the enemy. We are not walking in the truth that God is here to be enjoyed and that he can pour out over us just like the water poured over the altar. That the work has been done on the cross so that you and I can know his presence and experience fullness of joy. Is that not good news or what? I can preach you more. <laughs> I believe God wants to release you all. I do. So we're going to sing that song again. It's only a really short one. But you've got the words there. And we're going to sing it again. And if there's a weariness or a sadness, or if something's going on in your life, and believe me, I know that there can be sad times. But you know, in the worst of times, and I know it through personal experience, even in the worst of times... <coughs> we can experience supernatural joy because we've got a supernatural God. And he can lift our eyes up and he can take away the burdens and he can come in and he can release his joy. And actually sometimes there's a joy that we experience in the hard times, in the valley, there's a joy that is released that we don't actually know whenever everything's good. So let that joy be released today. Let us remember the God of the Old Testament who is the God of the New Testament who is the God that's coming back again. Today they're talking about peace plans in Jerusalem. Watch the news tonight and we'll see what's going on. Things are happening in our world. Lift up your eyes and realise that God's working out his agenda. Things are happening. God's agenda will come to pass. The King is coming in Jesus' name. Let's sing this song. Let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy as deep cries out to deep. Come Lord Jesus come. I believe when Jesus stood up that day. In the last day of the feast. I believe that he cried out. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me and drink. I believe he cried that out from the deepest part of his being. And he wants you to know that he can reach into the deepest part of your being. As deep deep cries out to deep. He wants to go deep in you, he wants you to have a deep relationship with him. he wants you He wants the very deepest parts of you to be refreshed as he pours out the water of his salvation and of his love next ta- next week we 're going to look at the, the the other part of this festival, which was so exciting and has so much to teach us as well. So if anyone wants to come up to, today, we are here to pray with you. we want to bless you. Uh, but we pray you'll come back next week and we, we thank you for coming out in that terrible weather and we just release the joy of the Lord upon you may it be your strength as you go in Jesus name